Well, good morning, everybody. Well, warm welcome to you all, both those of you here and those of you watching um, online or on catch-up, or whatever we call it nowadays. The theme for today's service is an eternal perspective. And because of that, and I know it's Christmas Eve, but I'm, the service is more a service for the fourth Sunday in Advent. So as we try to take the broader view of how Christmas slots in to the great story of redemption and uh, restoration of God's creation. So I'm going to start with a prayer and then then there will be some words on the screen. So first of all, let us pray. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, come and make your presence known. Reveal the glory of the living God. Let the weight of your glory fall on us. Let the life of your river flow. Let the truth of your kingdom reign in us. Let the weight of your glory fall. For we do not seek your hand. We only seek your face. We want to see you. We want to know you. So, Lord, reveal your glory in this place. Amen. Shall we stand? If you can say the words in bold type at the bottom when we get there. People of God, be glad. Your God delights in you, giving you joy for sadness and turning the dark to light. Be strong in hope, therefore, for your God comes to save you. You, we, are God's children. And together we say, Lord, make us one in the love of Christ today and forever. Amen. So let's sing our first hymn, In Christ Alone. Oh, 
So as we stand, let us say this prayer together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we'll be seated. And as we have prayed, cleanse our hearts that we may worship you. Let us have a moment of quiet where we say, Come, Lord Jesus, search our hearts. Put your finger on anything that you want us to confess. Let us remember that we are in the presence of the God who loved us so much. He gave us, he, he gave his life for each one of us. If God gave us his son, how much more will he give us all good things, including forgiveness of our sins? So in a moment of quiet, let's meet with God, with, with the risen Jesus standing in our presence. as we come to, before God with our sin, let's remind ourselves that God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be our sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let us receive our forgiveness and once again, the assurance of the new life that is in us because of what he did for us on the cross. Amen. Shall we stand again and celebrate what Jesus achieved for us on the cross?
we proclaim worthy is the lamb to receive all power glory majesty dominion thank you lord that you stand in our midst the risen ascended lord jesus we ask your blessing on us now as we hear your word and as peter peter preaches it to us we thank you for peter and for what he's prepared we ask that you would open our ears to hear you and open his mind to the mind of christ which dwells within him So, Lord, please bless him and bless us. Amen. Would you like to be seated for our readings, and then Peter will come and bring bring the sermon. There are two readings. The first reading is taken from 2 Samuel... Chapter 7, verses 1 to 11, and then verse 16. And that's on page 310 in the Church Bible. 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 1 to 11 and 16. God's promise to David. After the king was settled in his palace... And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night... The word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place, with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them any more, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest 
from all your enemies. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The second reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 1, which is on page 1023. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary, asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. There's some uh, interesting parallels uh, between uh, these two stories of how God spoke to two very different biblical characters, different figures, King David and Mary, the mother of Jesus. First, of course, David is a king, uh, king of Israel, who resided in the heart of the nation in Jerusalem. And Mary, who is a humble girl, a humble virgin from the little-known town of Nazareth in Galilee. So one a king, the other a teenage girl. Another interesting parallel uh, between these two stories is uh, David wants to build a temple to house the Ark of the Lord. But Mary is told that she is to be the one who will bear the Son of God in her own body. 
A third parallel is that David is told that his earthly kingdom will endure forever, which in fact it didn't. Whilst Mary is told that she is to bear a son who is to be called Jesus and whose throne will last forever, a throne that indeed will last for all eternity. But both are interesting, have, have in common between them, uh, both figures have the humility to accept God's plan for them, even if that plan seems outrageous in extent and breadth. David is to be the king of a re-established house of Israel, and Mary is to be the one who bears God's own son. The point is this. Do we have plans for God, or does God have plans for us? I wonder how many of us along our faith journey have uh, said in our walk with the Lord something along the lines of, uh, Lord, I've got great plans for my life, and I want you to come along, and I want you to bless my plans and conform to my plans. And, so, and I think if we're honest uh, with ourselves, uh, quite a lot of the time we, we tend to think like we've got somehow God sewn up, that we know what is the, the best for our lives, and we just need God to come and confirm those plans uh, and even better bless those plans. But maybe, just maybe, God's plans for us are even better than our plans for God. So this morning, I want us to focus on the story of how uh, God gives David the opportunity to follow God's plans rather than his own man-made ideas. So if you've uh, got your Bible open, it's 2 Samuel 7. Uh, I've forgotten the page number Carolyn mentioned, but uh, it is there uh, for you to have a look at as we follow this story. And as we look at this... I'm hoping that we'll have the courage to give up control of our lives to God. Now, as I look at it, uh, those looking at me, I know uh, you've done that already. But this is something we can always do more, can't we? We can always give more control of our lives to God. And we can ask God to help us to serve him even more effectively. And all of this, of course, on Christmas Eve, when we remember and celebrate God has come amongst us in Jesus to save us from our sins, even you and me. So, what is the context of this uh, story, this narrative in 2 Samuel 7 about King David? Well, David, by this point in the narrative of, of 1 and 2 Samuel, David is well and truly firmly established on the throne of Israel. He's reached the height of his success uh, in what has been a very difficult journey up and down, ups and downs that he's had as a shepherd boy, etc., etc., all the way through to becoming king. And so now, at this point in his life, he feels he wants to do something for God. And so verses 1 and 2 of this chapter uh, says this, After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, David said to Nathan the prophet, here am I, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. So David has plans for God. David has plans. It's clear, isn't it? it, it along the lines of it, he's thinking to himself, it's not right. Here am I, I'm established on the throne as the new king of Israel, living in a fine palace. And the ark of God, the place where the glory of God dwells, 
on earth is in a tent. And so he wants to do something about it. He wants to build a more permanent home. He wants to build a temple for the ark of God. Psalm 132 records it like this. David swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. So he tells his, the prophet Nathan, one of the court advisors, of his plans, and Nathan advises him, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That's it then, it's all sorted, all taken care of. It's a good idea, it's an idea that I think brings glory to God, and I'm going to go ahead and do it. But wait, but wait. Nathan, that very night, has a vision, and God speaks to him in a dream. And the essence of what God says to Nathan is this, just broken down. David is not the one to build the temple. God has never asked his servants to build him a permanent structure. Yes, the Lord chose David and has made his name great in world history. And the Lord will establish a throne, a royal house for David. And it is his son who will in fact build that permanent dwelling in the temple. And the Lord will guide and correct David's son and establish his throne forever. So we might think we know God quite well, do we not? David thought, well, I know God quite well. The Psalms, many of the Psalms are written by David. Uh, The Psalms of David express a very profound relationship with God, a real and deep relationship based on David's experience of the forgiveness and grace of God. But here, God is turning David down. His plans that looked commendable, his plans that looked good, building a permanent house for the Lord, were rejected because they don't fit, they didn't fit in God's overall plans. So how is David going to cope with with refusal and what looks like rejection? Which is a good lesson for all of us to learn as well, isn't it? What seems like a good idea may not be a God idea. And yet, even though... It seems like David is being rejected and his plans refused. God has a bigger plan, a cosmic plan, an amazing plan that would mean that the son of David would be born in Bethlehem, the one who would be on the throne of his father David for all time. And of course, that is our Savior Jesus Christ. But I just want us to draw out three simple lessons from this story, from this narrative, just to explore how we can put these into practice a little bit. And so we see see in the story that David grows in his faith and learns the importance of three significant truths. The importance, firstly, of having a teachable spirit and a humble heart. Secondly, hearing from a faithful prophet. And thirdly, gaining that eternal perspective. Having a teachable spirit and a humble heart is revealed through the ability to learn and grow. 
My daughter Naomi hates getting things wrong. She absolutely hates getting things wrong. Uh, she's writing an email or she's writing a card. She will invariably come to me or Debbie and say, can you just check this? I'm not sure I've got this right. And I think she gets that trait from me. I, I, I tend to be someone who likes to check things out before I actually go ahead and do them, before I commit myself to anything. That's partly why I tend not to buy clothes over the internet, because I like to try them on before I actually buy them. You can probably uh, sympathize with me on that level. But sometimes we just have to do things, don't we? And maybe it goes wrong. Maybe it goes well. But what happens if you take the time to reflect on your mistake? You learn from it. You learn from it. So it's the ability to say, no, I, I tried something, I got it wrong, is the mark of a true disciple of Christ. We are all learners. We all wear L-plates as Christians. But the important thing to remember is that the Lord doesn't mind us making mistakes, but he does want us to learn through them. David learned from his mistake. He was humble enough to say, yes, I got it wrong. Now, we didn't read that part of the narrative, but when David hears Nathan's reply from God, he humbles himself before God, and it says in verse 18 of this chapter, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me thus far? And in verse 20, What more can David say to you? For you know your, your servant, sovereign Lord. So David is willing to show that he's learning from his mistakes, to humble himself and say, I got it wrong, Lord. You know me, you know where I'm from, and you are Lord. So whereas David before is full of himself, now he is full of God. David has the guts to go to the tent of the Lord's presence and say this wonderful prayer recorded in verses 18 to 29 of this chapter. And I would encourage you to read it sometime when it gets a bit quiet after Christmas. Take some time to read that prayer. It is amazing. He didn't go there all sulkily and stamp his foot and say, oh God, you know, my plans are good plans. Why didn't you bless them? No, David is prayerful and humble in his prayer. And he has the ability to say he got it wrong and his willingness is to learn which poses a, a challenging question to each of us. What matters most? My plans for God or God's plans for me? Secondly, in this story, we see the importance of listening to a faithful prophet of God. Nathan is a court advisor. Uh, he's a confidant of the king. In fact, this is the first time he's mentioned in 2 Samuel uh, in the narrative. And so early on in the story, as we know, David goes to Nathan, and Nathan says, look, go and do whatever you want. The Lord is with you. But the very fact that Nathan is in the court of King David shows that the king values the advice of other people, especially the advice of those who are listening to God. So where would David be without his faithful prophet Nathan? David quite, quite clearly expressed his dependence on God through the Psalms he wrote, but it's another thing to live it out in practice, isn't it? 
So David's first step is to seek the prophet's advice. But Nathan comes from the school of faithful prophets rather than the rubber-stamping kind. So, having given what he thought was the right response, he then has the courage to go before the Lord and receives this fresh word from God. No human being can ever claim they are infallible or that they have a hotline to the God of heaven and earth. But Nathan is open to God enough to receive a different vision than the one that David might have wanted to hear. Nathan was humble and soft-hearted enough to hear God's answer, new answer. And I think if you're open to failure or change, that is a sure sign that God is working in your and my heart. We all need Nathans in our lives, like the prophet Nathan. We all need someone around and about us who is open to God's voice, speaking to us in such a way that we can hear that gentle rebuke or whisper of the Spirit, encouraging a different approach to an issue. That Nathan figure might be an official, uh, someone have a, uh, with an official title of pastor or minister or vicar. It may be, but it may be someone who... God chooses to draw alongside you as a friend or as a listener or as a guide. Seek those people out. Someone who is a friend, a listener, and a guide. But our willingness to receive such, from such friends is evidence of a teachable spirit and a humble heart. They might bring confirmation of your plans, they might bring challenge, as Nathan did. Perhaps they will bring a word of redirection, as was brought to David here. But the important thing is, whatever they bring, whether support, challenge, or redirection, we all need faithful prophets in our lives, as King David did. Thirdly, lastly, important truth of learning that we can learn from this passage is that we need an eternal perspective. I wonder how much Nathan understood, how much, sorry, I wonder how much David understood about the message that Nathan brought to him by God. What about the statement in verse 16, which is mind-blowing? Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Wow. What a promise. In the world's way of thinking, it's like you go and play the lottery every week and you win the lottery every week for the rest of your life. The extent of this promise is mind-blowing. Too big to, to comprehend. But David has the presence of mind to acknowledge how extraordinary this revelation was. Who am I that you have brought me this far, Lord? Who am I? But what is striking in this whole episode is that David is willing to give up his plans in favor of God's. As I said at the start, sometimes we bring our plans to God and we say, God, confirm my plans, bless my plans, without seeking his will and his ways. But as we've seen, being turned down is often a sign that God is wanting to test our obedience to his will. David was a strong man. He was king of the nation of Israel. He was at the height of his powers. But he had not lost perspective of where he'd come from, the origins of a poor shepherd boy. 
And there we see that parallel again with Mary. Mary's response to the announcement by the angel is marked by obedience and trust. May it be to me according to your word. And here in David and Mary, we see this eternal perspective being shown. They trust God, who is in charge of all time and all eternity, that he will bring about his purposes in good time. We pray this every week, don't we, in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we live our lives with that eternal perspective, we're able to say to God and mean it, your will be done, not mine. And when we pray that prayer with our most precious plans in mind, then God really and truly is sovereign over our lives and over our futures. What David didn't know when he submitted to God's will is that he was, in fact, part of the eternal plan that God had for the the world in sending Jesus to save us from our sins. Jesus was born, as the carol says, of King David's line, and so David's royal house was indeed to be the one that would last forever because the throne of Jesus is eternal. David didn't know it at that point. He didn't know that. But he was willing to listen and change direction and humble himself to the point where God could bring about his divine plan. What about you? What about me? What about us as a church family? And I think this builds well on on Ursula's excellent talk on prayer last week. She said in her talk, God is always present to us, but are we always present in relationship with God? As Ursula said, prayer is about becoming constantly aware of God's presence. Prayer is seeking the face of God. And so we might ask, what is his will for us as a church, rather than asking, what is our will for his church? You see, we can get the question back to front so so wrong so easily. And so, yes, emphatically, yes, We need as a church to be seeking the face of God in prayer. We need to be seeking after God's will, after God's will, not what we want. So let's pursue that with energy and vigour next year throughout 2024. And so as I come to a close, I wonder, I wonder, if you have plans that you think are good ideas, Perhaps as you you look into next year, as it were, into uh, 2024, you're considering a change of direction in some way or a new calling in your Christian walk or any number of plans, big or small. But before you decide and think this or that is a good idea, learn from David's experience. Have you, have I, got a teachable spirit? That allows God to test us, refine us as we make mistakes. Are you, am I, able to listen to that prophet who might come alongside you with a new God-filled response that challenges you to think again? And do you and do I have that eternal perspective that says your will be done, not my will?
May we have the humility of Mary as she says to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. Father God, we humble ourselves before you. You are God. We are made by you. We are your creatures. Father, help us to humble ourselves before you, to listen to your still, small voice speaking to us. Help us as a church to listen to your voice and to do your will. In Jesus' name. As a response, so as we continue to pray over this, Peter's asked that we um, listen to um, another song, a, a video of a song which we're going to play now. as we consider the implications of love coming down at Christmas. We come to a time when we can bring those who are on our hearts before the Lord, the God of love. One of the prophecies 
about Jesus tells us that for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now as we come before Jesus as our Wonderful Counselor, Let's pray for those known to us who are struggling in their faith. Struggling with difficulties in in their lives and asking, why is this happening to me? Let's pray that Jesus, the wonderful counselor, will come to them and open their eyes to see his truth see that they can still lean on him and trust him. As we continue to consider Jesus, the wonderful counselor, let's pray for all those who have responsibility for political situations. Let's pray for the, for the president of the United States, for our own government, and for the government and for those ruling in Israel and those ruling in Hamas and in Iran and Hezbollah and in the Gulf of Aden. Let's pray for wisdom for those who are trying to strive for peace. We come to Jesus as mighty God. And we ask for his rule to be established in these places. As we've been challenged to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we come to to God as the everlasting Father, the Father of all of us in his church worldwide, let us pray first of all for our own church as we grapple with the question that Peter asked, what is God's will for our church? Let us lay down our own preconceptions of what church should be like. Let us all resolve to come to God and say, "What, Father, what is your will for us? Let us pray for Peter for Ursula, for all those in any form of authority in this church and of of leadership. Let us thank God for them and let us ask for his wisdom for each of them. As we celebrate Christmas, let us
Pray for ourselves that the Prince of Peace would rule in our lives. That we would learn how to let the peace of God rule in our lives. Because of members of one body, we were called to that peace. Amen. We will share that peace with each other in just a moment. But before we do... We're going to light the Advent candles, which I have to confess I forgot to do at the beginning of the service. But a scripture to do, to do this with, again, as we look for, uh, towards the Christmas season, we remember one of the bits of the Christmas story that isn't told so often, when uh, G- Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be dedicated at the temple, and they meet Simeon, the prophet, who has been waiting all his long life, to see the Lord's salvation. And he, he says as part of his prayer, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your, pe- your people Israel. We remind ourselves that Jesus is the light of the world, so bearing in that in mind, I will now proceed to light the four candles. Shall we stand? There was a night on the hillside in Bethlehem when the light and the glory of the Lord shone around those shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel said to them, Glory to God in the highest, and peace to his men, to, sorry, peace to his people on earth. Peace with God means that our sins are forgiven, that we are brought into a right relationship with God. So as we share the the peace with each other, let us bear that in mind and minister God's peace to each other. So may the peace of the Lord be always with you. So let's share the peace with each other for a moment, and then Peter will lead us in communion.
As we return to our seats, we're going to sing our offertory hymn. Peter said at the beginning of his talk, we think we, we, it's easy to think we've got, got God sewn up. And then he shows us there's actually so much more. And that's the theme of our next uh, song. Who can ever say they understand all the wonders, I think I've got the words right, of God's master plan. So let's sing to the glory of God. So, Lord, as we offer you these, our gifts, we offer you our lives, we offer you our ideas and our own wills for our lives, and we submit them to, 
with these gifts to you. We say, Lord, have your way and be glorified in our lives and in all that we do and in all that we give you. In the name and to the glory of Jesus. Amen.
Gather your people from the ends of the earth to feast with all your saints at the table in your kingdom. When the new creation is brought to perfection in Jesus Christ the Father, by whom and with whom and in whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, will honour and glory be yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever.
We're nearly at the end of our service. As Tim Lomax used to say, it's an unbeen a privilege and an honor to worship with you. We've got no notices today, but just to remind you of the, the other services over, um, over the Christmas period now. Um, and this is where Fourth Sunday in Advent morphs into Christmas Eve. This afternoon at four o'clock is the Crib Tingle. Um, sort of cross between a Chris Dingle and a crib service. Um, cast of thousands, I'm told. Peter nodding. Um, knowledgeably there. Do, do come. Four o'clock for about an hour. And then at 11.15 tonight is the midnight communion. And at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning is our Christmas Day family communion, and which will be an hour at the most. And as advance warning that New Year's Eve um, on sun, um, next Sunday will be one service only, at, which will be a combined service at 10 o'clock. So 4 o'clock this afternoon, 11.15 tonight, 10 o'clock tomorrow, and 10 o'clock next Sunday. I hope you've got that. There will be a test as you leave. <laughs> But for the time being, let's celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas with our final song, which is Joy to the World.
fullness of his love. And now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and pres pre present us before his, great, before his great and glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So go in peace to love and to serve our Lord. Amen. Amen.